0: Welcome to Survivor Sanctuary. I am Kelly, and I'm excited that we're diving into episode six today on the podcast. I can't believe we're already up to six episodes. I feel like these weeks are going by really, really fast, but I'm having fun uh, for the most part, I will say. I'm just going to be completely honest and real with you on today's episode. Sometimes in the world of advocacy and speaking out for the sexually abused, And the wounded, it can be really difficult and sometimes your emotions can get extremely raw and this past week was definitely one of those weeks for me. Um, There are a lot of layers to speaking out, there are a lot of layers to advocating for the abused. And uh, emotionally, it can be exhausting sometimes. So this past week, um, I actually had the pleasure of reading Rachel Den Hollander's new book, "What Is a Girl Worth," and I loved um, listening to that book. I won't say reading because I actually got the audio book. I drive a lot. I spend about three hours a day in my car during the week and lots of crazy commuting happening and so audiobooks work great for me because of course you know then I can fill that 90 minutes each way with something you know a little more soul-serving than just you know listening to music or yelling at people in traffic but um, the book was actually it was awesome and I loved hearing Rachel's story and I loved hearing it in her voice because she reads the audiobook and I feel like it just gave it something extra to be able to hear Rachel say in her voice, um, her story and to hear her heart. Uh, but that was a little bit emotional for me as well because so many of the things you know that she was talking about, I could relate to so much of what her story entails as far as not being believed and trying to come forward and not really having anyone to tell and um, having relationships lost. And there's there are a lot of layers to Rachel's story as well. And I could relate to them. And so that left me feeling a little bit raw. Um, and then, goodness, it's just been one of those um, weeks where it seems like a lot of opposition. If you spend a lot of time on social media, I think sometimes it's good to just take breaks. But um, a lot of people just don't like the work of advocating for the sexually abused. And Uh, There are some great people, you know, that are very supportive, and there's an awesome community of supporters of sexual abuse advocates and survivors online. But, you know, there's another group that it's just kind of like their job and mission in life to kind of push back against the things that survivors say and to sort of stand up for perpetrators, I guess, and make it an issue of just forgiveness and grace and and God's mercy and not to downplay any of those things because they're very important. But for survivors of sexual abuse, you know that it's kind of an uphill battle sometimes to get people to see things from the perspective of someone who has experienced abuse and is dealing with its aftermath. So it was a little bit of a crazy week, not Completely pumped with myself about <laughs> the amount of arguing that I did on Twitter, um, but you know what? It's it was just it was one of those weeks, and there are times where I feel like to speak up is important, and then there are times when I think you know you just got to let it go. But I feel like being open and transparent about this and my struggles of this last week is important because today I wanted to talk about the decision to tell your story. Now, we talked before about the fact that your story is important. It's important for you to engage that story yourself. As Mary DeMuth says in several of her books, an untold story never heals. And so I I know that your story is important, especially to share with yourself and to be able to move through that and work through it. But there are those of us who have made the decision to tell their stories publicly and to really speak out about sexual abuse and specifically the sexual abuse that they've experienced. So I thought today, uh, in addition to talking a little bit about the decision to speak up, that it would be good to begin with the reason that I decided to speak up and share my story of abuse. Because for many, many years, 29 years to be exact, I kept my story to myself. I did not really talk about it. I, I guess I, a couple of times I hinted at it or intimated that things had gone on, but I never really faced it and started to speak out about it until about 29 years after it happened. And um, I mentioned in last week's episode when talking about you know assumptions that people make about why you speak out, I dealt with a lot of that uh, when I started speaking out. So I thought, you know what? It would be great to just begin this podcast episode kind of outlining what brought me to the decision to share my story publicly. What's crazy is when I began to go to counseling and I started really dealing with uh, the story of what had happened to me, In my own life, just dealing with it internally, dealing with it with a therapist, I was pretty adamant that I was not ever going to speak out about this. And it's something that I just knew My entire life, from the time that I was six years old, from the time that this happened, it was this shameful thing that I knew I could never share with anyone. And as a child, it was out of fear you know, that I had done something wrong, and it was out of fear that I was going to get in trouble. It was also out of fear that my perpetrator was going to get in trouble because um, he was a very beloved family friend. And it's difficult as a kid to reconcile this person that you know who you have loved so much and has been so much fun and has been such a positive person in your life and a person that you've just enjoyed and loved. And then you have to reconcile that person with this person who has done the deepest harm to you that anybody's ever done. And that's really difficult to do. But as a kid, never crossed my mind that I would ever Say anything to anybody about the fact that I had been abused. And that sort of shifted over the years, the reasons behind it. I stopped to have such a deep fear about the abuse because when I was a child, it was very much this just anxiety and fear that would come up whenever I thought about it, which was all the time. These memories would just come flooding back and those negative feelings and the anxiety and my body would go into its fight or flight stress response and it was just awful. And as I got a little bit older, those feelings started to shift, and I was no longer like, oh, I'm scared. It became a thing of almost protecting my perpetrator. I just thought that there was no reason to tell anyone. I just thought, okay, it was a thing that happened. It was an isolated incident, and I was sure he must feel terrible about what he did. Um, And I was naive. I didn't really know much about sexual abuse. I didn't know much about child molesters. I didn't know much about pedophiles. And so I really didn't understand the story of my abuse. But one thing that was just always a given in my mind was that I was never going to share that story with anybody. It just wasn't going to happen. And it's very interesting that now I'm very... Very much outspoken and vocal, and I've I've gone public with my story, and uh, down to using the name of my perpetrator in, in blogs. Like I just got to that point, uh, and it, it's like a complete 360 from where I was even just um, a few years ago, as I began to navigate healing from sexual abuse. So, what made that shift happen? I don't want to over spiritualize this. Um, by saying that I think that it was God, that I think that it was the Holy Spirit, like prompting me to speak up. But I can honestly tell you that I don't know how else to describe this feeling inside me that just insisted you have to speak up, you have to say something. Um, So let me take you back to a few months in to going to therapy and starting to heal and just, I mean, I wouldn't even say heal, just starting to face my past and what had happened to me. And uh, I just, it was not an option to come forward to speak up. I knew that I would never be able to, because I thought to myself, oh my goodness, if I ever said anything, then his family would be devastated. He was now married and, and had several children and he was this, um, you know, head deacon in a church. And I just thought, I can't, I can't put that on his family. And I felt like I was responsible for protecting him. I felt that way the majority of my life. And that didn't change when I began to heal. Uh, But what also started happening was I started to read a lot more about sexual abuse. I started to read a lot more about child molesters and pedophiles. And as I started reading more and more, things started clicking in my mind that had not clicked before. So one night, I will never forget, I was outside. I had a canal behind my apartment, and I was just walking in the grass, walking my dog and talking on the phone with my sister. And she she was very angry. <laughs> she was very angry about what uh, this perpetrator had done to me, the fact that he had gotten away with it for all these years. And I just remember, you know, I was always surprised when someone expressed anger, when I talked about my story of abuse. And that might sound weird because you might think I was walking around feeling very angry, but I really wasn't. I felt this numbness. I felt this just like a grief, but kind of like walking around in a fog. I just, I could not access any feelings of anger. And it always like intrigued me when I would tell my story and somebody would just get downright mad. And so my sister was having one of those moments and she was just like, I would never do this because it's your story and it's your story to tell and it's not anybody else's. But if you let me do it, I would tell everybody what he did to you. I would shout it from the rooftops. She's like, people need to know he can't get away with this. And I remember just um, being very grateful that I knew I could trust her with my story and that she wasn't going to do anything. Um, that she was going to respect that it was my story to tell. But you know, she was very angry, and I, I placated her. I just remember saying like. You know, I mean, I'll I'll pray about it, but, you know, I just don't feel like speaking up about him is something that I'm going to do. But, uh, you know, to placate her, basically, I said that I would pray about it. And I had no intention of praying about it, honestly, because I just it wasn't a question in my mind. I had just made up my mind that I was never going to out my abuser. I was never going to speak up uh, specifically about what had happened to me and who Had done it. So uh, I remember that night very clearly because it wasn't long after that that I just began to not be able to focus on anything else because I had this feeling like this I can't describe it in any way, but like this burning in my heart. Like I went from absolutely not, it's not even a question of whether I'm going to speak up, but it was just like a given that I was not going to. And I went from that. To one day having this realization, and I don't remember the exact second that it happened. I just know that I'd been reading a lot about predators, reading a lot about child molesters and, and pedophiles who offend. And it just clicked in my mind as I was reading about the grooming process and um, I, I feel like I need—I feel like I need to apologize for using the word "grooming" because uh, one of my heroes in the sexual abuse advocacy world is Jimmy Hinton, and he doesn't like the word "grooming." <laughs> he says that he prefers "testing," but I'm going to be honest—I think that testing is great, and I think that that's definitely something that abusers do. But when I look back at what happened to me, I feel like the word "grooming" applies because. I feel like I was being taken through this whole process of like, it was somebody basically making me love him. And I don't really view that as a test because I didn't need to be tested. I gave my love very freely and and I loved people and I was just delighted by my abuser because he was very... Uh, charming, and he was very kind, or I guess I should say nice, because I later learned he wasn't really kind. Um, And he was just one of those people that you loved to be around. And I was so excited. I just had this joyful feeling around him all the time, because he paid special attention to me. And you know, a lot of adults didn't do that. I was six years old. I was one of five kids, you know, attention was something that was really difficult to come by. But I feel like I was definitely being just like groomed. I just, I imagine like someone brushing a horse. (laughs) That's like how I feel like I was just being cared for with this tenderness and this love. And I feel like it was all designed just to be able to trap me in a place where evil could be done to me. So whatever you call it, whether it's testing or whether it's grooming, and I I don't think the terms necessarily matter all that much, but um, when I started reading more about what a lot of experts call grooming, I realized all of a sudden it was like everything just fell into place like when all of the rows in Tetris are like perfectly lined up and all the blocks disappear, kind of one of those moments in my brain when I realized, oh my goodness. These were not isolated incidents, because in my mind, that's how they had always been, you know, these isolated incidents. And it dawned on me all of a sudden, that This wasn't isolated. And so I started to look back at my story and to piece things together. And there are memories that I'd had my entire life. I never recovered memories. I never lost memories. I'm sure there are things I don't remember. Um, There are details that I'm glad that I don't remember, but there are a lot of very vivid details that I definitely have always remembered. I just didn't view them through the lens of someone being a sexual predator. I always just thought of it as this nice guy from church and this random weird stuff just happened and I'm sure that he didn't mean it or whatever. But when I started piecing the story together, it was very clear that I was being groomed and that I was being pursued by him for a sexual relationship at the age of six years old. And I mean, sexual relationship is definitely the wrong thing. It's abuse. But that is the way, looking back, that it just seemed. He had singled me out. He was, you know, paying this special attention to me, bringing me candy, bringing me pictures, and, and he did it for my siblings as well, uh, but basically just pursuing me and getting in good with my family and trying to find ways to get me alone, down to coming to my house when he knew that my parents were going to be gone. My parents would go out with his relatives, the pastor and his wife or his, his sister and brother-in-law, and they would take my Parents' places or go places with my parents at times. And it was like he knew to show up at those times. And and that wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't an accident. And so, piecing everything together, I just had this realization that that was not an isolated incident. And the more I read about predators, the more I realized this wasn't just like a random someone molests a child out of an opportunity to do it. He was systematically creating these opportunities. He was systematically pursuing me and he was systematically grooming me for the purpose of using me sexually. And I can't, you know, without going into a lot of detail that would take up a lot of, you know, the podcast, I, I can say definitively, This was not just some random thing that happened because he had an opportunity. These were opportunities that he was creating in order to abuse me. And I realized suddenly, for the very first time, and it might seem crazy, but this is actually something that many abused people can relate to. I've heard this story from so many other sexual abuse survivors, that it's like they never considered that they weren't the only victim. And for me, I never ever considered that the man who abused me may have had other victims. It just never crossed my mind. It was always about me. It was always like I had done this and I had been this temptation to him and I had somehow made this thing happen and it didn't cross my mind that perhaps, you know, he had done it before And perhaps he continued to do it after. But once I began to really dig into kind of understanding how sexual abuse works, how grooming works, how predators work, it was suddenly just clear as daylight. This guy had been abusing people before he abused me because he was too good at it he was too good at what he was doing. He was too good at gaining my trust, too good at gaining the trust of my family, too good at getting me alone and knowing exactly when and where and and all this stuff. Like It was too well thought out for this to be some random incident. And that's when it hit me for the very first time. I'm not the only girl. And once that realization came into my mind, I was like, Horrified. My eyes were just open to the fact that I wasn't the only one. And for some reason, like I mentioned earlier, it was very difficult for me and still is. It's very difficult for me to access feelings of anger over my abuse. It does happen. It does. I'm not going to deny that because I do get angry, Um, especially when I'm dealing with weeks like this, when life seems a little harder than it should, and when my emotions seem more raw than they should. Sometimes it's a little easier to access those feelings, but I had difficulty accessing those feelings of anger. And I'll say the same thing, and I don't know all the psychology behind it because I don't have any fancy degree. (laughs) And I, I know that I know there are reasons, but in addition to not being able to access that anger, I also couldn't access the right that I had to speak the truth of what happened to me. It wasn't until I realized that other people had likely experienced this. And even worse, he'd never been caught In 30 years, he hadn't been caught, which meant he could still be perpetrating. It wasn't until I realized that he could be hurting other people that I suddenly could not shake the feeling that I had to speak up. And I will never forget, I had a radio event um, this weekend. And this was all just in the space of a few days where it dawned on me, I'm not his only victim. There is no way I was his first victim. He was too good at the whole process. And there's no way I was his last victim because if he's seeking out people to abuse them and he's that good at what he's doing and that deceptive, there's no way he stopped after me either. And I know there's a lot of argument, and maybe you don't know this, but a child molester is anyone who molests a child. And they're not necessarily a pedophile. Sometimes people will molest children for reasons of having an opportunity to do so. Maybe it's a child who molests another child. It's not always because a person is a pedophile and they have an attraction to children. So that's a distinction that people like you to make because, you know, there are just arguments for, you know, whether or not all pedophiles are, are going to be offenders. And many say that, okay, they're attracted to children, but they're trying not to offend. Anyway, that's a podcast for another time. And one of the reasons that my emotions are very raw this week is that uh, some of the arguments on Twitter centered around uh, those distinctions. But I will say this, if someone is attracted to prepubescent children, and they're an adult, they're a pedophile. And I know that the man who molested me was a pedophile because he had multiple victims, uh, which I'll get to in a bit, and he was attracted to young girls. I was six years old. I don't know the exact ages of his other victims, but I know that they were prepubescent. And so he fits the criteria for a pedophile and an offender uh, because he offended against me and eventually we found out that he offended against some other girls as well. So I couldn't access my feelings of um, just the right to speak up. I felt like I didn't have a right, and I'll just be honest about that and just be completely transparent. I felt like I didn't have a right to say anything. And sometimes when people are poking at survivors of sexual abuse or they're angry that survivors have spoken up and they're they're bitter and they're upset because they feel like survivors are trying to ruin people's lives. You know, that's, that's their accusation. Like, you're just, why are you trying to ruin this person's life? And, you know, I'm always like, okay, and I'm the wrong person to ask that question to because I never felt like I had a right to ruin anyone's life. And that was one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons I stayed silent for so long is I just thought, I have no right to ruin these people's lives. But once I realized that this man was a pedophile and that he had pursued me and groomed me and was very systematic and I started to believe he could be a serial pedophile. And I just knew he has probably never stopped offending. And I don't have time to get into all of the research behind that. But if somebody starts offending you know, in their teens, which he did, and into adulthood, it is highly unlikely that they're ever going to stop, especially if they never get any help for it. And the fact that he'd never confessed to anyone that he'd done it and the fact that he'd never gotten in trouble or gotten any kind of counseling or therapy for it told me he's probably kept offending ever since that summer in 1986, where he was sexually abusing me. And I was horrified. And all I could think was, this guy is still serving in a church. He's a head deacon, one step below the pastor. He's always around kids. He does puppet shows. He does artwork and crafts for kids. And I just, I was horrified when I started to think this guy had definitely never stopped abusing, more than likely had not stopped abusing, and that little girls could be in danger. And I don't know why I couldn't access that feeling for myself that it's okay to speak up just for me. But once I realized that there could be other little girls, I knew that I had to speak up um, for them, because I thought there could still be people who are in danger. And it, it was horrifying to think that it never crossed my mind in all those almost three decades. Not once did I ever think he had done that to anybody else. I just didn't. I don't. I don't know why. I bet if we talked to somebody with like a PhD, they would probably explain it. But I've heard so many survivors say the same thing. It just didn't cross their mind. And all of a sudden, they see their abuser interacting with other people, and that's when it hits them. And I will say that uh, some people had posted some pictures on Facebook. And I saw my perpetrator for the first time in so many years, and I just felt sick to my stomach. But what made me feel even more sick was the fact that he had a daughter. And I just, that was around the time when I started to realize, you know what, this guy probably never stopped perpetrating. And there's a chance that children are in danger. So that was what prompted me to speak up. And honestly, when I first started thinking, oh my goodness, he may have done this to other people, still... I'm not going to say anything. It's not my job, but I will never forget the weekend, which I started to talk about a few minutes ago. Sorry, chasing some rabbits here. I'll never forget the weekend that everything just changed. I had just started thinking, Oh my goodness, I'm not the only victim. And uh, then I could not, no matter what I did, get it off my mind that I needed to speak up, that I needed to speak out. I couldn't, I could not make that thought go away, that feeling go away. And as I mentioned I don't know how else to explain it, except it felt like my soul was on fire in my chest. Like, that's how it felt. And I could not rest until I had spoken up. And I don't feel like that was just me. And I don't know where you are as far as your faith or your relationship with God or the way that you uh, think about spiritual things. But for me, I really feel like it was a prompting that was not of me. Uh, because I went from, I mean, in the space of a weekend, I went from, I will absolutely never say to anyone. And I was just, I didn't even need to argue about it because it was just that set. Like you don't need to argue about something that's decided. And that's how I was. And I went from that hundred percent sure I'm never going to say anything to all of a sudden, if I don't say anything, I'm going to die. That's how it felt. That's how strong that feeling was for me. So, um, the story of how I spoke up is probably a story for another podcast because we've been going for a while here. But I just want to say that um, the decision to speak up is so personal for each and every person. And I never want to make it seem like when I say, you know, your story is important, that I'm saying that you have to speak out or that you have to speak up or say publicly what happened to you or tell anybody what happened to you. Like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying ever. Um, I think it's important to let people know that just like my sister said to me, I know this is your story and this is, this is yours to tell. It's not my place. And she respected that. And that's so, so, so important And as a survivor of sexual abuse, if that's who you are, if that's what's happened to you and you have one of those stories and, you know, you're not sure about speaking up or not speaking up, that decision is always yours and it's not for anybody else to make that decision for you. And I also don't want you to think that, oh my goodness. Um, you know, Kelly spoke up because she started to worry that other people might be in danger. And that means if I don't speak up, then people are going to think that I don't care about other kids. And I want to say right there, because I struggled with some feelings of guilt for about three seconds before I realized, and other people helped me by telling me nothing that your perpetrator has ever done, whoever abused you, um, if you were abused, nothing that they do is up to you. It's not your decision. It wasn't my decision for the man who abused me to abuse me. It felt like for a long time that it was because that's what my shame told me. But uh, his decisions were his alone. And he got himself into that situation by making those decisions, by deciding to act on some evil desires and to just give himself over to that. And so, you know, I, I know that he did go on to abuse more girls and uh, I am convinced that he's never stopped abusing, although he would argue otherwise. And unfortunately, he continues to serve in the church, um, unchecked, but that also is a podcast for another day. But those decisions belong um, only to your perpetrator. It's, it's not up to you to take on the responsibility of whether or not the person who perpetrated against you has offended again. And so I just wanted to be clear about that because I know for me, I, I did, I did feel some guilt, you know, that, oh my goodness, if I had thought, you know, earlier that maybe he had done this, but it's just, I just didn't, it didn't cross my mind. It just wasn't there. There was just no idea in the world that this could have happened before. So, um, I just want to say you have to do in sharing your story, Whoever you share it with, whether it's just a spouse, a best friend, whether you only ever share with a therapist or your kitten, (laughs) whatever the case may be, that's your decision to make and uh, never feel pressured that you need to do something, you know, to satisfy somebody else or that it's, you're obligated to speak up or to speak out because you're not, it's totally up to you and it's your story. It's, it's your life. It's what happened to you. And it's important that people respect that and honor the fact that that choice is yours, whether or not you're going to share your story and the way in which that you want to share your story. So next week on the podcast, I want to share with you a few thoughts that I have surrounding sharing your story of abuse, Um, because it can be a little bit tricky sometimes and, Sometimes your message, depending on who you tell, may not be the most well-received message in the whole world. And I remember expecting that because I had read enough and I'd heard enough stories from survivors when I started speaking out to expect that not everybody is going to like the fact that you're speaking up. So even though I expected some pushback and even though I expected to not be well-received by everyone, I still suffered a lot of hurt and a lot of heartache uh, regarding how my story was handled. And so next week on the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about maybe some tips uh, for the decision to share your story and the way to go about it. And again, it's a very personal decision, but I know that if I had to do things over again, that I would probably do a few things differently, if for no other reason but to protect myself emotionally. And that's going to be really, really important. If you've never shared your story before and you think you may want to tell someone, again, even if it's just like a best friend or a mentor or a therapist, and you're kind of considering like, what do I do? Who do I tell? That part's totally up to you. But I know that for me, when I started to speak out, I wish that I'd had me to kind of come back and say, okay, you might not want to tell this particular person, or maybe you should just not expect certain people to embrace this story. And I mean, even even with the knowledge that not everybody wants to hear about sexual abuse, and that it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, and that a lot of people don't want to believe survivors of sexual abuse. Even with all that knowledge, I still ended up dealing with a lot of hurt. And my story was actually mishandled. By uh, people, and in a way that really hurt me. And I'm gonna share that story next week on the podcast. But if you are a survivor and you're thinking about speaking out about your story for the first time, or if you're a person who's ever been entrusted with the story of a survivor, or if you just wanna be safe. For a survivor to talk to. I think that next week's episode is going to be really important. I'm going to get a little bit more into the story of how I shared and how I spoke up and some of the things that I dealt with as a result. It was an emotional roller coaster. It was at times just really hurtful. There were just times that I I felt hopeless and there were some times that I felt very, very hurt by things that happened as a result of speaking out. So I just want to be honest and I want to be transparent about it because I don't know. Um, There's no one size fits all. Your story is your story and it it happened to you. And if you share that story, if you don't share it with other people, uh, even the way that you share it is not going to be the same as everybody else. There's just not a one size fits all when it comes to healing and speaking out about sexual abuse. But I think that there's definitely stuff that we can learn from each other, and I definitely learned from other survivors when I started to speak. And I feel like I have some stories to share that may help you if you're navigating that decision of whether or not to speak out, or if you just want a little bit of encouragement, maybe a little bit of guidance in the process of speaking up and speaking out and maybe what to expect a little bit. So I'm going to be sharing more of that story next week and pretty much one of the worst things that has happened since I started speaking out about the abuse that happened to me. And one of the reasons that I think it's important to share is that we deal with so much just trying to navigate healing from sexual abuse. That's like a job unto itself. Um, I work a few jobs and, and I do a podcast too and a lot of other things in my life. So I'm busy, busy, busy. But I felt like when I started the process of healing and the process of speaking out that it was like an extra job that I had. And it took so much emotional energy and it was so draining because it's emotionally draining. And sometimes that can be the worst kind of draining that you can have. So I just want to share with you. I want to be transparent. I want to let you know what my experience was and some of the really awful stuff that happened, just just so you know. And maybe you've been speaking out about sexual abuse for years. Maybe you just started speaking out, or maybe it's something that you've just kept to yourself and haven't really shared with anybody. But I think that what I'm going to share with you next week may give you something to think about. I really appreciate just being able to, to be transparent and to just talk about some of the stuff that I've gone through. And as I mentioned before, this has just been like a very emotionally draining week. And so it's nice to just be able to sit and chat. And I appreciate you listening to this episode of Survivor Sanctuary. And I also want to announce that we have a winner for the brand new book from Rachel Den Hollander. Called What is a girl worth? And last week on the podcast, I mentioned that in order to be entered to win this book that you had to leave a review on iTunes. So we had some people who left reviews and I just want to say thank you so, so much if you've done that. And I greatly appreciate it. And I have a winner and I'm actually going to read you their review. And also I'm going to say, I only have a screen name for this person, so I need you to tell me who you are. Emblem Rules. That is the name of the person who left the review and the person whose name I literally drew out of a hat today, Emblem Rules. If that's you, send an email to kelly at survivorsanctuary.com and I will get that book to you ASAP. Again, it's kelly at survivorsanctuary.com. But this is what Emblem Rules had to say about Survivor Sanctuary. She gets it. So many people have no idea how to help or speak to survivors. Here I've found truth, validation, and resources as I walk through my path of survival. This is also a good resource for those wanting to help survivors but they don't know how. And Emblem Rules, whoever you are, appreciate your review. And I appreciate everyone who posted reviews and ratings of the Survivor Sanctuary podcast. And if you haven't done that, take a second to go ahead and leave a review because the more reviews that we have, the more people are going to be able to find this podcast, which of course, it's always great to have more people listening. Well, thanks so much for listening to a little bit of my heart today. And and i hope whatever you're doing with the rest of your today that it is amazing and i want to send big hugs and just love to anybody maybe you you've been experiencing a little bit of an emotional downturn this week or maybe it's been the best week of your life either way big hugs from me to you and i will chat with you next week on survivor sanctuary see you then Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit survivorsanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.